0: to take another 15% off of this course. And uh, we can't wait to see you there.
1: Warning, this show will challenge you to engage your brain. We might even provoke thoughts that change the way you work. Don't panic, inspect, adapt, deliver. You're listening to Agile for Humans with Ryan Ripley. Learn more at ryanripley.com.
0: This week's Agile for Humans is back. We're with Dave Dame. We talked a lot about Agile leadership, Scrum, a winding conversation. Dave's one of my heroes. This was a ton of fun. I don't get enough time with him, so it was great to spend this episode. Hope you enjoy the conversation, everybody. I'm going to pause here. We're going to jump into it right after the intro.
1: Welcome to Agile for Humans. Our goal is to bring humanity back into the world of software delivery with Agile values, principles, and practices. We gather top Agilists from around the globe to share insights help you grow as servant leaders in your organization. We seek to open minds, change hearts, and deliver value into the world. Now here is our host, professional scrum trainer and agile practitioner, Ryan Ripley. All right, welcome back. Joining me today,
0: Dave Dame. Dave, so happy you can make this work. Uh, It's just great to see you, brother.
2: My pleasure. Um, thank you for inviting me to be a part of this. Anytime I get to spend with you, I feel I walk away or roll away a lot smarter.
0: <laughs> roll away. It's funny you mention that. So Dave, um, you recently did a talk about that uh, for TED. So you are now... So first of all, congratulations. I, you know what? Maybe I should step back. Dave uh, is a fellow professional Scrum trainer at Scrum.org. Dave is also a, a vice president in the banking industry. Um, Dave is also now a highly sought-after uh, keynote and conference speaker, uh, especially around um, ability. And Dave, I'm going to let you take it from there. But congratulations on your TED Talk! Um, really, that was it was awesome to watch. And maybe you could give the listeners a little flavor around that and just what um, being able uh, has really meant to you and how that really resonated all through your talk.
2: Well, it's funny because whenever we talk about agility and Why it had a personal impact to me is, to me, agility is a catalyst for change. It's a catalyst for what is possible. And, you know, from an early age, I had to use that kind of, you know, inspect and adapt type of mindset to deal with a world that wasn't really ready to have somebody with a professional with cerebral palsy. So, But it started from how do I get out of bed in the morning to how do I get to go to regular school? Both from an infrastructure accessibility standpoint and a mindset standpoint of inclusion for teachers and and you know all the way going up to university and college and I think growing up in Windsor Ontario which is uh, a blue collar kind of you're not going to knock us down kind of town gave me the 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 toughness I needed to be able to persevere and struggle through all those things. So then when I went to school, I went to school for engineering and business. You know, those are both complementary things because, you know, in grade 13 in Canada, that's where you make your decision whether where you want to go to school with. And I couldn't make up my mind, but my dad was always uh, tactful. He'd go, you know, let's be honest, Dave, being in a wheelchair, you're not going to be a fireman. You're not going to be a police officer or a construction worker. But you know what else you're not going to be? Living under my roof for free the rest of your life. <laughs> so you better figure it out. So that started my journey of just helping companies change to the way they need it. And, you know, I was doing Agile before Agile was a thing. Got to meet Ken Swaber, and then the rest is... Got to meet you, and then the rest was history.
0: <laughs> I'd imagine Ken is a much, uh, much better high point. However, um, I am going to put... <laughs> Uh, a link to the Ted talk, uh, in the show notes. And this is one of those, you know, dear listener, please take, you know, the, the 15 minutes and listen and watch it. Um, it's, it's a tearjerker by the end of it. It's, it's, it's a very emotional talk. It was, um, it was awesome to see my good friend Dave on that stage. Um, and what was just amazing is, um, there's just some life choices and some inspect and adapt moments that he talks about, um, and one of them was his parents had to make a decision on setting these creative constraints that were going to build Dave up into, you know, th- these abilities to to operate in the real world. Um, so it sounds like you have just you have an amazing family, um, but also just tons of perseverance. Uh, and I think as people are going to learn through this discussion, Dave, just a ton of insights into what it really means to have to inspect and adapt and make sure that things are <laughs> super transparent because if they're not I mean I mean your day could be thrown off completely
2: Well you know it's funny um you know when I first started my professional career predominantly work in high tech and software because software and innovation has a a, a soft spot in my heart because with that it's enabled me to do things that maybe in previous generations I never could have But with the life of computers and technology, as simple as Apple Pay, right? Like when you think of Apple Pay, you probably think, yeah, I can get a coffee really quick. Just walk over and tap, tap, tap. But for me, that was an opportunity to now I can go meet a friend for coffee and have the freedom where I can go pay for something on my own. Where before I would have to trust a stranger to go into my wallet to get my bank card. So that anxiety would keep me stuck in a house. But now with technology, I can call the wheelchair Uber. I can tap for things. I can use social media to have a voice where maybe in previous generations, I wouldn't have got that opportunity. And I used to just avoid my disability because I didn't want to be lumped in as a guy with a disability. I wanted to be a fantastic leader, a fantastic change agent. And I would always try to mask my disability. And it wasn't until three years ago, a friend Jason Little asked me to speak at Spark the Change. And I said, well, what do you want me to speak about? And he goes, speak about that engagement agility that you talk about all the time. And I'm like, no, I'm gonna do something personal. So I did a story about how my uh, vulnerability and having to be able to work through others to achieve things Developed my leadership style, and I did a, a, a talk called Leading with Imperfect Feet at Spark. And that was the first time I embraced my vulnerability. Um, and I thought it would make me weaker or made me look at maybe less. But since I've embraced it, it's made me stronger than I ever thought I could become.
0: Yeah, Dave, that's a, I mean, it was such a great leadership lesson, right? Having to. Um, basically, lead through influence, be vulnerable. Um, how has that played out? Because you're now an executive you're at a you're, you're a vice president at one of the largest banks up in Canada. Um, how has that translated into just I, I mean, just an amazing career uh, in the financial industry? You know what? How has that really shaped your theory of agile leadership?
2: Well, it was it was interesting because I never I never thought in a million years I would work at a bank. But luckily, they were going through a big technology revolution. So it didn't seem like I was going to be Dave, the the, the automatic teller. I was going to be you know doing technology. But what I've tried to embrace, a man, because when you're moving to agile, you're really going at the heart of innovation, which is looking at the teams and getting the best of human dynamics and human capital and smartness. You need those right kind of skills and empowerment to really get the most out of people. So it's not using the traditional ways where we used to think which motivated them. It's really getting them to feel safe and comfortable where, where it's not throwaway code. It's not, it's not something to think of as waste but it's an opportunity to learn. So I work with them to try to make learning a first-class citizen and get them to reduce the cost of learning by trying to invest in the right infrastructure so it's cheaper to release. The right HR incentives, like how do we incentivize people with the behaviors that we want? We can only incentivize them on delivery if we want to incentivize them to be able to stop a project when it no longer leads value. It's really, you know, the technology side they usually get in an agile way, it's getting the leadership and the way we fund projects, moving from projects to product, and the way we build a culture of agility, but it's working with the leaders to give them the tools they need to lead these autonomous teams, like to push decision-making down.
0: Yeah, I'm hearing a, a lot of awesome trends here, Dave, and I want to pull, pull apart a few of them there. Um, so it sounds to me like your, your view of the Agile leader, um, and I think we'll stay in this topic for a little bit, um, they're working across the org chart. They're visiting HR. They're talking to finance about drip funding instead of annual planning. Um, but it sounds like they're also um, setting the tone, right? So they're saying... Uh, When someone learns, let's say we a common phrase is "fail fast," which I try to move away from, and let's learn quickly and then do something with the learning. Um, But when that happens, instead of getting upset that something didn't go my way, which, by the way, if we're doing experiments, we don't know the outcome, right?
2: And so I don't, I don't usually. But
0: (laughs) so we're going to get surprised. But when we get surprised, when I'm in that that vice president leadership role, I try to pause and just say, "How fascinating." And now what, now what, now what, now what can we do with this instead of getting angry or instead of showing disappointment? I mean, and that's something just these like intentional practices. Do you have any of those other kind of thoughts there where, you know, where you have to pause and remind yourself, like, this is how we build a learning culture or, or even just noticing opportunities where you need to go visit someone else across the org chart. You know, the, the strategy is amazing. Have you found tactical, um, ideas where, Um, It's helped you like realize those moments because I think awareness is important, but then also like how you actually engage and execute in those moments.
2: Well, first off, it's simply just getting the leaders to share their failures, right? You know, they all love to say fail fast and fail often and boy, it sure feels good to say, but they don't usually follow it by sharing some of their biggest mistakes that they learn from to create a culture that we're not a success because we 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 mitigated failure, we're a success because we embraced it and we recovered from it. So as simple as getting them to share their biggest learning moments, it sounds so simple, but in a culture where I only move up to look great, it's still hard to soak in. And then too, it's funny when you mention, go across the org chart, and this is where I'm gonna tie it into uh, accessibility. It's funny, for years, It used to be the buildings were the biggest obstacles for me to get in, whether it had a ramp, elevator, to be able to go visit and talk to people. Now we got this thing called an org chart that even though they're a box, they seem to be big steel walls. So we got to learn to make that org chart accessible and fluid so it doesn't bar entry from anybody.
0: I I remember distinctly, I I like your, your comment where those lines are really Big steel bars. I remember a situation. I'm I'm working with a company and working with this very nice leader, and uh, she has three teams reporting to her, and all three teams are doing customer engagement of some sort. And she was really upset because none of the teams knew what the others were doing, so customers were getting multiple calls in a day and multiple touches. And, and I just stopped and I and I asked her, "Ma'am, can can your teams just do a quick like you know getting a getting a quick daily scrum here and talk about the customers and show the roster so that if people need to pair up and they can tag team on calls and it's just one touch. She goes, well, no, they're all in different departments. And I'm like, but, but, but ma'am, they all report to you. Like these are all your departments. She goes, yeah, but that would, you know, and, and it was really this huge block and it, it was finally, um, and, and I started asking these questions, you know, are they co-located or are they in different cities? She's like, oh no, they all just sit right over here. They were all sitting in the same space. And I'm like, and and for some, but there is this, and I think you hit it beautifully. There are these steel walls up in place when we look at this org chart, and it's like these de facto silos pop up. And eventually I just went over and grabbed a person from each team and said, can you tell me the roster of customers you're talking to today? And there was overlap all over the place. We wheeled over a whiteboard. We wrote down the customer names. We put post-its of people who needed to be on those calls. And instead of having, you know, 30 people make 30 individual calls, it turns out they could make eight phone calls in a day and get it done. And the lady's mind was just popped, like she's looking at that going, "Okay, this changes how we work."
2: You know what the irony is? Uh, I'm sure, and you've seen, we've had talks about this. The C stack is cross-functional, right? They're used to working with the CFO, chief marketing officer, CEO, CTO, whatever. We're working with the teams to get them cross-functional, dev, QA, BA, design, whatever, but yet there's that middle layer that for some reason protects those silos, and it could be how they're measured, right? Because they get broken into different cost centers and different accounting things, and because of how they're being measured and evaluated, it's preventing from doing the right thing sometimes. So I think in a, an attempt to try to measure something unilaterally, we take away from from impact that can be made of collaboratively.
0: No, I, I totally agree. I remember being a middle manager at, at a orthopedic manufacturing company, and uh, that middle layer is highly competitive. and And I think you hit it on the head with the incentives, um, even to the even to a fault where. Uh, I, re- I remember distinctly I was in a I was getting reviewed by the director I was reporting to at the time, and he told me or he started questioning why I was helping fellow uh, managers, you know, understand planning and understand how to use our tools. And he goes, "That's a person that's going to steal a, a promotion from you someday if you keep leveling them up." And I and I turned to him and I go, "That's awesome, right? If if I'm not able to 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 help my team." We're all trying to, we're all serving the same director. And I'm like, if, you, if I'm not able to help my team and help us overall succeed, and if that's not measured, if that's not a measured benefit, and if that's not something that you value, then you're right. However, I still have to help my friends, and I'm still going to help that middle layer. Like, I, I don't know how to, I don't want to compete with them. I want us all to win. And that was really antithetical to the model uh, of how people were operating at that middle layer.
2: And I wish I could tell you the world has changed. It's not, And it's funny because I think, it, and just think about how we were measured as leaders, Ryan. We get told, you need to drive this outcome. You own this outcome. Do I own it or does the team? Like I used to feel bad when they go, Dave, good job of delivering this product to market. That was great. I'm like, well, thank you. But it was really the team. Yeah. I should be measured on a scorecard of, Am I growing my team? Are they getting new skills? Are they getting more soft skills? Are they collaborating better? Are they solving more things? Actually, I should be doing a job of, do they even need me anymore? Because if they don't need me anymore, job done. They can work and operate and I can fix some new problems. But as a leader, we need to be measuring on how are we growing the people? How are we removing the impediments that are beyond the team? And what are we doing to contribute and safeguard the culture where they can push back? We can have autonomy to do that. That's where I should spend my time and get incentivized. But if they go, Ryan and Dave, you own to drive this, then they're rewarding us for a different kind of outcome that we hired really smart people to do it. We're no longer manufacturing. God God bless them. They don't have to listen to us to be successful.
0: Yeah, that's it. A- <laughs> Uh, yes, that is, that is truly a blessing. (laughs) Um, but, but it's, it's something we talk about in the professional agile leadership class quite a bit too. I spend a lot of time, um, talking with leaders in that class of, you know, easy, easy line of questioning, right? The first question I'll ask is, you know, do you all believe that you're hiring the best and brightest in your markets? And of course they all say yes. Everyone believes they have the best and brightest. And I think, for the most part, companies are really hiring for uh, top talent these days. It's a very competitive marketplace, right? And so the next question is, well, then why are we trying to tell the best and brightest what to do? Shouldn't we give them a vision? Shouldn't we explain value? Shouldn't we provide some some enabling constraints and then sit back and watch the best and brightest do amazing things? And they all just sit back stunned. That really is... um, and, I, and someone hit me with that line of questioning earlier in my management career. They're like, someone hit, it, hit me a little more direct. They said, do you believe you're the smartest person in the room when you're sitting down with your staff? <laughs> and I was just, and I, and I knew I was trapped. And I'm like, well, no, we've got some really bright people on the team. And the person turned to me and said, then why don't you shut up and listen to them? And I thought, okay, message received. And I, I think this is one of our challenges, Dave.
2: No, and I and I was recently speaking at uh, the Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, and and I asked them, I go, how do you define a leader? And let me ask you, Ryan, how do you define a leader?
0: How do I define a leader? Yeah, Um, I, I I think there's there's three three characteristics that I believe are that lead that make leadership. I I think that a leader loves their teams, which means you love people. I think it means that you want those people to be wildly successful, and that you're going to remove every impediment that you can, that they can't handle, that prevents them from being, uh, that prevents them from doing their job and their self-actualization. And I think if you've and got that, those three things, you're on that path to leadership.
2: And that marries well with my definition. But uh, you know, so many organizations that I've went to. It's usually title or some sense of uh, prestige or privilege with the leadership thing. And then I think back in my life, one of the greatest leaders I ever met was uh, my personal support worker, B, that you've met a couple times at a a scrum.org event. And just to tell the audience what a personal support worker is, it's somebody that comes in every morning to dress me, shower me, and help me get off to work. And why I say B is one of the greatest leaders I know is he's devoted his life to be at my house at five in the morning, get me up, get me on the bike, I get all sweaty, shower me, get me dressed, and bring me to work. And the the way he enables me to be able to create a change, without him, I wouldn't be able to make an impact and bring all the greatness in the world. And sadly, his role isn't looked at as prestigious. And I hate to say it's even looked down upon, but he's one of the greatest leaders I know because he enables me to do great things. So when I share that story, I usually like to ask the leaders, who are you willing to shower to make your organization better?
0: Yeah, and that is another one of those like two by four questions to the face that um, I think sometimes we need to use. But I mean, to to comment on B, that. That guy, I mean, when I first met him, I think he was still kind of a kid. Um, Awesome.
2: awesome. (laughs) This is his maturity.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Awesome young man. Um, And he just, uh, I mean, he fits right in with the group. He he truly loves you, Dave. He does his work uh, joyfully, which is, I think, another mark of a leader. He's joyful um, through all of his work, and he truly has that servant heart. He is, he's awesome.
2: And you mentioned it, he was, he's invisibly present, right? So even when I'm doing my thing, he's in the background to make sure that everything is still flowing, but he's not front and center. Yep.
0: Yeah, I, I think he's an awesome example. Uh, we actually struggle in the class sometimes when we get asked, you know, who's, who's your ideal example of an agile leader? And it's, it's kind of hard, you know, the tech industry has the Steve Jobs and the Bill Gates and the, you know, but those guys were very much, um, directive, right? And uh, especially Jobs, um, if you believe the biography is not very kind. Um, but I think uh, I think when when I when I get asked that question next time, I might tell the story of B. I think yeah, he, he's an excellent example.
2: He cares for the people. He enables. He doesn't try to lead in front. He leads in back, so the world around him can be better and. He's got a heart bigger than his body and the world is a better place with him in it
0: but I'll tell you what he also and and I've I've observed this uh, especially when we're in uh, in Boston together he will take direct action when it's needed uh, yeah he does jump into action when you need something if something's not going quite right and so you know he but he balances that beautifully and I think that's part of the leadership role is That ability to know that, yes, we lead from behind, we're leading through influence, we're empowering and enabling, but also sometimes we got to jump up and take the hit and then solve something. And he just, that balance is just, he doesn't take away your agency, he doesn't take away um, your liberties, but at the same time he will jump in and directly take care of something to ensure that your needs are still met. And I think that it's just such an awesome balance.
2: But he does what a great leader does, right? Because we all jump in if we need to, but the great leaders know when to give back control to the team, right? When we okay. give the one back to say, okay, we've so we've helped." but now here's back the responsibility and go. And that's a big, important thing, and it's hard to develop, and I and I'm guilty of wanting to solve the problem, so sometimes when you jump in when you need to. You almost got to act like a consultant of, okay, team, now when can I break up with you and give you back the responsibility? Well, I think a
0: lot of that's awareness. And we talk a lot in PAL about delegation. And it's something I've, I have struggled with for a very long time. Last year, or actually the year before, I started this practice of, I want to I decentralize control as much as possible. Um, and so I actually ran some experiments through conference speaking. Where I basically decided the audience now controls my talks, like I'm not showing up with slide decks anymore I have to I use liberating structures, powerful questions, whatever it is to gather what the audience wants from me, and I deliver that in an hour and I thought this is either going to work very badly and I'm not going to get invited to conferences again or people are going to love it and as it turns out the the high, the highest scored talks I've ever given have been with zero. Uh, upfront preparation and giving total control of the talk to the audience.
2: And how scared were you when you
0: did that? Um, The first time, terrified. The second time, I couldn't wait to do it again. So, because it's it's truly a, a leap. But I think people appreciated right off the bat that suddenly the talk was about them and not how smart I was or not how, hey, look what I did or... You know, it wasn't um, it wasn't about me anymore. Which is, I think, you know, we we talk about this a lot too. I think the scrum master is a leadership role, and one of the hardest parts of really being that servant leader in the scrum master role is realizing that there's nothing about the scrum master role that is about you. It is all about meeting the needs of everyone else. You don't get an agenda. You don't get your own. Um, your your ideas are secondary to what the team uh, devises and their self-organization moments. I mean, it's really, and that is, and that is why I think it's so hard, uh, to make the shift from project manager to scrum master or some other role to scrum master where, you know, you had some directive and you had some authority because man, we just strip all that away and we turn you into, now you're not a doormat, but you are at the service of the product owner, the development team, the organization, and you're there to meet needs. And it is just so tough.
2: Well, and, and you mentioned a uh, big thing too, Scrum Master as an agile leader. I think we can agree they're both one and the same. Maybe a, a different. they have different battles to fight, Yep. But, but it's the connectivity with the team. And what I find, I'm curious if you find the same, is the time needed. And I always hear from leaders when I first come in, oh, I don't got time. My calendar is jam-packed. I'm like, but don't you manage that? Like, You're managing a big organization. You're saying you can't manage your calendar. And I think we get too caught up, and I've been guilty, and I'm sure you've been guilty too, of getting that calendar to get overloaded, and then that becomes your master, and you're not allowed to serve the team or do all those things.
0: Oh, yeah, my calendar. But you know what? Uh, I I had to sit down and solve that, and so when I'm – When I'm an executive with scrum teams, um, you know, Dave, I don't know about you, but I still like to tinker. Like I've been stopped at the door at a retro knowing full well that I shouldn't walk in there and the scrum master rightfully stopped me. Or I like to meet with team members and I like to see the tech. I had to give up a lot of that. And I had to pull those meetings off my calendar Like instead of asking for status updates and, nope, I'm just going to go to the sprint review right? I'm going to follow the framework. I'm going to respect the people's time. And I think that's a big part of it. Um, But yeah, those calendars, they get unwieldy. If you can't manage a calendar, you're right. How are you managing a a 50-person organization?
2: Or even more, 50,000, right? Like what I get is, and I hate the reoccurring calendar event. That's just saying, I want to suck up your time once a week, every time, Without, it's like a blank check. I'm not going to give you the agenda or purpose, but I'm going to absorb your time. To me, those are the first you should pop off your calendar because if you're going to become a modern leader, if you have three teams or 50 teams, you need to be available. A busy leader isn't an effective leader. So what you asked me at the beginning of the call, what tactical things I do. One of the things that I usually do is get them to reduce The amount of meetings in their calendar by half and even taking away the reoccurring ones that they don't usually go to anyways begins to free that up and get them to block it off as times with their people.
0: You know, I actually will go into companies every now and then uh, as a consultant where I just basically shadow leaders and we have discussions and I make observations and I was working with a gentleman and, uh, I was just, I, I just kind of tailed him to some meetings and I noticed that there was, there were meetings where he was disengaged either on his phone or on his laptop. And there were other meetings where he was sitting very up straight, was taking notes and was very interested. And so when we got done with the day, so I've used your tactic of clearing the calendar and I sat down and then I told him these five meetings you need to remove. And he goes, well, why? Like, cause you're not there. You're just sitting in the room. And he goes, well, what do you mean? And we have this conversation. I'm like, look, if you're going to this meeting, but you're able to sit there and do email and not pay attention, get out of there. Pull it off your calendar. Free yourself up. Make some time to actually deal with the things you're doing. But these other two meetings you were in, you're attentive, you're present, you're contributing. Keep those. And let's see how that goes. And he pulled those meetings off. And guess what? The world didn't end.
2: Because the problem is, is they feel they need to be in the meeting because it's a club right? I want to be seen as I'm around this table. I am thou part of this group instead of, okay, but what am I accomplishing? What do you need from me in this meeting? Do you need a decision? Is it, am I just in here to cover your ass? Like, why am I in this meeting? And sometimes I'll push back and go, what do you need me from this meeting?
0: Yeah. Well, I think let's add to our definition of agile leader. Let's maybe and let's let's do an amendment. Let's see if we agree on this. What if an agile leader is also someone who rises above the politics and the club mentality and does not participate in such things?
2: That to me is a real leader. Bold not to not to do the status quo, because when you do that, you're doing it to have a longevity of your career. And do you want to be uh, if you do want longevity by doing change and being different? Or do you want to have a career in becoming the status quo? Then if it is, then I would argue you're not a leader. You're just a well-informed follower. And if you want to be a leader, you got to start making those uncomfortable changes. And what I usually get them to do to clear the calendar is I go, which one of these calendar invites don't have a purpose or what you need to do? If it's a blank one, because in corporate culture, nobody fills in the description. If it's blank, that tells you, You don't need to be there. (laughs) I like this calendar clearing. This is good. Yeah. Well, just because if you can't control that as time, and if you can't get out of, you, like what you said, getting out of the status quo of what's accepted, because of what's accepted, let's honor it. It got the company to this point, but they're usually needing to change because the world around them is changing quicker than ever. We can't continue to do what we did that got us here we got to be more responsive. The competition for top talent or great talent is tougher, so you need to be able to re-recruit them every time. Remind them why they're special. Get to see where they want to grow. Help them grow, because once they hit the ceiling, they're going to move on.
0: No, I I think that's powerful. Um, uh, Totally important to realize that, yeah, these people, the average tenure at a company these days is is around three years, Dave. Isn't that crazy? yeah? I'm
2: I'm getting, I'm getting close to three now, so uh-oh.
0: Yeah. You know,
2: another tactic
0: that uh, that I've started talking about in PAL with with these leaders as well. Um, I like to think about, and I've I've started to do this uh, monthly. I'll keep a little, I, I well, I'll keep a little pad of uh, post its in my pocket with a sharpie. I, I think most of us do that now, or at least we we keep that stuff with us.
2: You able-bodied
0: people. I know my privilege is showing. I'm sorry, Dave. <laughs> no, but uh, <laughs> you're so good at derailing me.
2: <laughs> well, just like when people call it a daily stand-up, I'm like, "What? I can't go." That's why it's called the daily scrum. Let's get inclusive and let's let's take the hate out of scrum and call it the daily scrum.
0: <laughs> That's right. Be inclusive, people. Call it the right thing. Um, <laughs> what I was thinking about though was, you know. Every time I say yes to something, I try to make a note about that decision, um, because I'm really worried about the word yes. Yes is actually dangerous to me, and uh, that uh, that often gets some weird looks from people in the class. But then I turn to them and I say, "Think about something that you've said yes to. Now tell me three things that you've implicitly said no to by saying yes." And then the, this light bulb goes off, and they're like, "Oh, I said yes to this trip." That means no to my kids' basketball game on Friday. That means no to spending time with my team through this very difficult release. You know, and they start coming up with all the things they said no to because they said a yes. And it's this practice that's really helped me, um, especially in a leadership role, get better at saying no to meetings that don't matter, meetings that I don't contribute. Because every hour I spend in that room is an hour that I'm not mentoring, coaching, teaching, training, serving and it it really um it's really changed actually it's freed up time, but it's also changed the way I've approached the work
2: and you know what that's just uh I think the disability of a lot of organizations we're not good at explicitly doing trade offs. We say yes, but we it's like track pants, right we infinitely keep saying yes, and they stretch no matter how big we we say yes to. <laughs> We got to start wearing fitted jeans and Mm -hmm. learn to say no, right? Because it's the trade-offs that organizations need to make. Because, you know, this is the one thing I don't like about backlogs. Everybody plays the game of, okay, I'll just put this on the backlog. We'll put this a medium priority. We'll put this a low priority. When's the last time you've actually gotten through all your high priority items? If I tell you I'm going to do something and it's a medium priority – that's my Canadian nice way of saying no. <laughs> so I've taught myself to be a little more American, like my friend Ryan, and learn to say no.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's a skill to, to really think about your core values, um, what you need to achieve, you know, how you can delegate and decentralize power and in certain, you know, you, you keep all of those those guiding principles in mind. And then sometimes the no makes sense. And I think it's important. I also like the idea of the self awareness. Right? In the moment, do you really understand the trade-offs you're making, like you mentioned? And actually I think it goes back to one of our scrum values of focus. What are we focused on? What's important? What's our what's the vision of our product? What's our sprint goal? How does it serve how does this change serve those? And if it doesn't say no. Or I, I what I also like is the idea of, yes, your new idea is excellent. Now what should we stop doing so that we can start doing this new thing.
2: Exactly. Realizing we only have finite time and capacity. You know, how often do we get trapped of, we have our work calendar, we have our personal calendar. We don't have 48 hours in a 24-hour day. Let's get one calendar and be very discreet in how we use it because that calendar is the building stones of every minute we have left less on this earth so what are we deliberately doing to use that minute to make it worthwhile?
0: Yeah, I like the message of intention there. You and I spent uh, – so I randomly showed up in Toronto one day.
2: and A uh, week before. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, or, or we or a week too early, right?
2: <laughs> but we adapted, inspected and adapted, and we pulled through. My team was great. Oh, they your quickly team's awesome. did it. Yeah,
0: yeah. I you have a great team. Matt was uh, – was great to talk to, uh, as well. Um, but something that you and I really, I think we actually spent, we we go deep into intention, which is where we were kind of drifting in this conversation, which is one of my favorite topics in the, in all these leadership discussions is, do you know exactly what you're doing in the moment you're doing it and why? And if you don't pause, this is a Christopher Avery, uh, through the responsibility process, or the leadership gift program taught me this
2: as well. Where, yeah, I met Christopher a couple times. He's he's great. Just
0: yeah, and this idea of pausing. I mean, I, even in in personal life, right? When um, when something unexpected happens, when some unmet un unmet need is exposed, and you get angry, upset, hurt, whatever. You know, the first move for me, at least, is to say something kind of sharp. Right, my mouth gets ahead of my brain, and what I have found is if I pause for a moment and realize. Uh, eh, I probably contributed to this. Part of it's my fault. If I ask a few questions, this will probably diffuse and things will go better. My life is much smoother, right? And I have found that pause, figure out what my intentions are, and then enter into the situation and try to, to to ask questions and guide works far better than just random action, right?
2: And and you know it's funny, it's it's Again, like, you're right, because we, we, we're in such a, an urgent need to respond, right? We feel a sense we got to respond, we got to move, we got to do that. Does agility take our time away sometimes from actually pausing and thinking to get that clarity?
0: I think it can. And uh, it's something, So in my own practice, I've actually tried to incorporate the idea of, um, there's a phrase, well, we're going to have to do something about that. And, just, and then just walk away. And people are like, well, what are we going to do? And I'm, I don't know yet. We have to, I want to think. And just give it 20 minutes. You know, not, I'm not saying wait a week, but just pause, think, you know, inspect, adapt, right? There's this like, the, the, but the transparency step is sometimes missed. And transparency can sometimes mean ask questions, pause, think, reveal. Then you inspect, then you adapt.
2: And that's interesting. I think that's what's probably bad with a lot of traditional corporate culture. Idle time is considered bad. we got to quickly deliver, deliver, because we're delivering on what we believe we know. Instead of if we sit back and go, what do we want to find out? I don't think we take that time to do that deliberate pause of what should we be doing, what shouldn't we be doing? What should we start now? What can we start later? Because I think every corporate culture, it's like at the beginning of the fiscal year, ready. We get 100 projects. Let's light them all on green. On your markets said go, and then surprise when half of them go red. Where, like, like I know you had that famous tweet that went a million, but it was like all projects should start red, and then the ones that are going green, those are the ones that we should drop the red ones and focus the green ones to we deliver it and then move to the next red ones.
0: Yep. Yeah, that thing went crazy, but I I I believe that you know, and I think you and I are in agreement until we deliver something, we don't know anything.
2: Well, that's the hardest thing to do as a leader, right? cuz in traditional organizations, you've been promoted by having all the answers. Yep. You should be promoted on asking the right questions so other people around you can solve and create a capability that your team and organization can solve problems, not execute on your answers.
0: You know, this is one of the pitfalls of leadership. And I'm glad that, you know, I I love it sometimes, Dave, where we're just, our minds are in sync. And I think we're just, you went right to where I think uh, I wanted to go here. I'm finding that when we're working with leaders, we're trying to get them to live the scrum values, right? We want um, focus, openness, commitment, courage, and respect. And we try to make those manifest in positive ways um, in, in accordance with the manifesto of agile software development, with the scrum framework. However, what I have learned, and I want to see if this resonates or, or if you've seen this too, people will violate all of their values to meet a need,
2: It's true because values seem to be something that people think uh, are something just because they're written down that that it automatically happens. And really values are something that takes effort and needs focus and purposeful to live those values. Just because you believe in them on the perfect times, if you really honor those values, use them as tools when times are hectic and complex and crazy. So I think value has got to be something instead of thought of as a foundation or a basis, they need to be purposeful tools that you employ in the most difficult situations.
0: And and I think um, part of it, too, is our challenge when we're we're working with with leadership. A lot of the times we'll go charging in headfirst with agile, 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 scrum, 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 and... um, if we haven't actually learned what their needs are and each lead, each leader's needs are different. We run the risk of all of our values and principles getting violated.
2: Well, and, and you hit the nail on the head too. I think this is where we've been. I find, I find interesting in the coaching community and I've been to many conferences and they're like, our leaders, they just don't get it. They don't understand the leaders are, you know, this, that, you know, everything. I'm like, as coaches, aren't we supposed to be empathetic and meet them where they're at and understand why they might be doing that instead of judging them? We preach about not judging, but I keep reading all these blog posts from coaches how how leadership is bad. I'm like, well, if we're going in with that thought right away, we've already lost because we're coming in with the, the tool of Scrum and Agile and that tool won't solve their problem. Let's first solve their problems and then show how agility can either solve that problem or create new opportunity that they never had before.
0: Yeah, it's that service uh, mentality again. And and I've seen the same blog post, and I've actually gotten um, some questions during keynotes and during conference talks about why leaders are so bad or why they don't get it. And I once fired off very publicly back at a person saying, Um, if that's the case, it's a hundred percent your fault. What are you going to do about it now? And that person looks stunned. And I'm like, well, you're the coach, right? They're like, well, yeah, well, if they don't get it, you haven't said it or taught it in a way that's meaningful or valuable to them. And so now how are you going to fix that? And it really was upsetting to, to people. Um, however, at later on that same person caught me an email or, or sent me an email and said, point taken, Um, I asked the leaders what they needed, I had no clue the struggles they had from above, now we're working on ways to address those in an agile way.
2: And I I think you and I get it, because we've sat in that seat, right? So we come in that empathetic, we get the culture they're sitting in, we get the stress they're under, right? I totally empathize with the stress they're under. But that's where you got to kind of meet them where they're at and show them how agility takes away the pressure of them always having to be right,, yep. and they can go into small iterations and learn to get to right quicker instead of trying to predict right
0: well, and it comes down to you know how is being right all the time, or how is the illusion of being right all the time serving a customer
2: exactly, like we got to start being going wrong where wrong is okay. If failure is okay and learning is okay, wrong has got to be accepted, because wrong is a wrong is wrong is really a byproduct of learning, and you know you can't learn without being wrong or not knowing the answers. Because if you know the answers, there's nothing to learn.
0: Is it possible that being wrong saves us money?
2: I think it saves us more money than trying to do the illusion of being right.
0: Oh, I, I, I think so too, Dave. I think. The being open to learning means that that we can find out what the customer wants rapidly, and not build waste and not waste their time. Uh, it means that we can. I, I think every decision you're making in an organization today, if you just tag on the question of how does this serve a customer, you might be amazed at how little the way that customer that that companies are structured today are how little that that structure is about delivering products and serving customers and how hierarchy is really meant for management, not for delivery or service. And that might change the way that people think about budgeting and marketing and sales. And how is the thing you're doing today potentially serving a customer? And if it well, isn't, maybe stop.
2: And it's funny because organizations have grown so large and you and I have been in ridiculously large corporations The sad thing is, is as you grow, yeah, growth is great from a business perspective, but it almost takes you further away from the customer or dilutes who the real customer is. Is it the shareholder? Is it the customer? Or is it the user? And I think we need to be very conscious of bringing in the customer and the user together, because I feel if we meet their needs, the other stakeholders benefit as well. But We don't invest time in getting customers in because it's soft and tangible that, you know, if you don't see a concrete benefit to it, that's usually the first efficiency benefit. But it comes at a greater loss because you're losing touch for those who you serve.
0: Well, and I've in in our workshops and classes and discussions, I always try to uh, point out to these leaders that if you don't know who your customer is, if you don't know who your stakeholders are, if you don't know who you're actually serving, you're in a lot of trouble because there's three people in a in a garage in Silicon Valley figuring that out right now. And I'll tell you what, a Canadian bank bought ING um, and they saved that market some heartache, but not every disruptor is going to get bought. Disruptors are going to get through, whether it's I mean, we've seen it in finance. I mean, if Bezos really jumps into medical, like he's like he's saying, "Holy cow, get ready!" I mean, you've got the Lyfts, the Ubers, the Airbnbs. These are the largest Airbnb, the largest hotel chain in the world that owns no property. Whoever thought if you had if we had talked about this thirty years ago, Dave? Well, I would have been ten years old. But I mean, if we had talked about this years before. I mean, who would have ever thought that the largest hotel chain would own zero property?
2: Well, and that's why software has been an enabler, right? It's created new business models. It's connected the world in any different way before. So a customer isn't just somebody in a local demographic. A supplier isn't somewhere in a local demographic. It's really made it more global. And to bring it back to your original point, I usually like to ask leaders, when's the last time they spent three hours with the customer? And, uh, those answers are usually, uh, very low numbers and no fault of their own. Their calendars made them a slave to take time away from their team and time away from their customers. There's not two groups that you could spend the most valuable time into being successful than those two groups, but yet they get the most minimal uh, space on their calendar.
0: Yeah, I, Dave, we, we see this over and over and, uh, but it's also what what I also like about these these issues that we see in companies is that they're they're fixable
2: oh they're all completely fixable
0: so there's there's always hope, but you know what sometimes they don't even need to be fixed i I've even run into situations where companies are doing great there's a few tweaks to make I mean it's one of those where I really try to hold off judgment right because it's real easy to come in and say you're doing all this wrong and and it's, I think part of our profession, uh, from a consulting perspective, especially they lose sight of the fact that when you walk into a leader and I'm talking more of the, you know, the, the director, vice president, you know, when you're walking into those leadership offices, they're very smart people, very, very smart people. Um, they, they were promoted by following the rules and learning how to play the rules, uh, are playing the games within their corporations very, very well. Um, they won, right? So, they, and they, 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 that's the perception where they've moved up the ladder, they've been promoted. And now, all of a sudden, as a consultant, we're, we're walking in the door saying, Nope, you're doing it all wrong. And here's what's right. And I think that's, just, I mean, it, it, again, it's kind of that disconnect that, um, I mean, if I walked up to you, if I, if I come visit you again in Toronto and I say, Dave, your training is just all wrong and here's how we're going to make it right. Your reply, I don't think would be, I mean, it's me, you'd be, you'd be kind, but you'd also be a little miffed. I think this is how a lot of those leaders feel too.
2: Oh, for sure. And it's like, even, so let's, let's even go one step further. The leaders deserve to be there. They've done a great job. they work hard to be there. They deserve all their efforts, all their sacrifices. They deserve to be there. It comes true as we come in as change agents, we got to realize what is the change they need for their business. They're not doing it to become agile. Let's get out of that idealism. They're doing it to make their business relevant. So what is agile enough for them that helps them keep going and continue in today's market? We got to remember they're doing agile for a business purpose, not for being agile and they're right, they just need a different perspective, and they maybe need somebody to take the brunt of their their uh, arrows they get as they try to change, because as change agents, we usually act as the shield for the leader, so yep. we can do what they want to do and still protect them, because we can always be fired, and then that way we take the shield, which is fine, but at least they're courageous enough to invest into a change agent, even if they don't know what they're doing today they knew enough to reach out to ask for help. And for them, that's a big leap. And it's remembering as change agents, what is the change they specifically need and the rate of how fast they can change depends on them. If we buy a house and we decide to renovate it, we can't just begin ripping out the walls without knowing why those walls are there. So as change agents, we gotta be better listeners And understand the context of the business before we start introducing practices to help them so we can bring it in our context.
0: Dave, it sounds like to me you've brought this full circle with the idea that rather than as a consultant, rather than as an agile consultant, walking in and directing, perhaps we ought to serve the needs of the people that we're working with.
2: Exactly. We need to be scrum masters, right? We serve them. And I don't like to use Agile. I come in as a change agent. Agile is a catalyst for change. I'm coming in there to help you change, realizing every company is going to have their own speed in which they can adopt change, and they're going to have their own path. Not everybody has cerebral palsy, but everybody has a disability they need to deal with within themselves and the organization. So how do I help them live a full life with it?
0: Beautiful words to end on, Dave. And so at this point, we've hit our one-hour time box. Um, man, I, I love you, brother. Thank you for doing this. Um, really enjoyed this. I'm going to steal half of this for the PAL class. So, well, But I, I might give you attribution.
2: Oh, no, don't bother. <laughs> that <laughs> so, way, if it sucks, you take it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's right. I'll, I'll, take the, I'll take the hit. No, always great to talk to you, Dave. Always, I always walk away just um, full. Right, I always walk away just full and fulfilled. These are these are always great talks, um,
2: and I and I roll away thinking the same. So,
0: <laughs> so at this point of the show, I like to offer uh, th- my guest uh, the floor. Whatever you would like um, to to promote, to talk about, how people can reach out and continue this uh, this this uh, conversation, whether it's Twitter, email, Facebook, whatever you like to use. Um, but also, you know, so Dave does, I think you're doing daily thoughts, da- daily, leadership thoughts on, uh, LinkedIn.
2: Weekly, whoa, 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 weekly, weekly. Oh, did I <laughs> overcommit you? Yeah, weekly.
0: So Dave will do these, these really great, um, leadership comments on a weekly basis on LinkedIn. He's doing video blogs now, um, where you can get some insights from him. Um, and, and I'm sure a lot of other content. So Dave, I'll let you, uh promote your stuff and let people know how they can uh, interact with you.
2: Yeah. So please add me to LinkedIn. It's David Dame. Uh, My Twitter is at d Dame. I love talking about all this stuff. I love reaching out. Um, please uh, look at my blog. I'm using medium these days and I have a personal blog called leading with imperfect feet, which is going to make its way out into a book. I'm setting a goal this year and it's, uh, about how to use le- how I use leadership to deal with my disability is how organizations can use leadership to fight their disability, which is the inability to change from their status quo.
0: Great. So I will get links to all of those uh, items that Dave mentioned into the show notes. I'll also share them out on Twitter as we promote the show. Um, we'll make sure that uh, everyone has a great opportunity to uh, connect up with Dave, check out his leadership thoughts, his his vlogs. Uh, The stuff that Dave puts into the world is stuff that I get alerts on and keep an eye on. I hope that all of you decide to do that as well. It's, it's always a a great read and usually leads to my own blog posts and my own thoughts because it just, um, Dave's one of the, Dave's one of the good ones and he keeps my brain going. So check that stuff out. As for me, um, I'm in full training mode. So if you're in the, let's see, where am I going to be? Columbus, Dallas, Houston, Minneapolis, I don't I don't even know the rest but uh Todd Miller and I are doing advanced scrum master all over the country. I'm uh doing a lot of prof- I'm starting to get professional agile leadership courses posted. We just did an awesome one in Indianapolis, a lot of happy people. Uh check out the website, check out the events. Uh if you want to join me in a course, let me know, hit me up. We'll uh we'll get an agile for humans discount out there. But um otherwise the numbers for this podcast are going crazy, so I'm making investments, Dave new covers, new, new intros. Um, we're, even, we're even looking at a live show on Twitch. I've almost got that put together. Um, 2019 is going to be pretty awesome for the podcast and uh, just really excited about what this year is going to bring. So listeners, thank you so much and uh, keep sharing the show. That's the single best way to, to get the word out and uh, we'll keep getting these out there. So thank you and have a great evening.
1: You're listening to Agile for Humans with Ryan Ripley. Learn more at ryanrippley.com.
0: Hey, it's Ryan. If you're enjoying this show and want to take a deeper dive into Scrum with me and Todd, check out agileforhumans.com forward slash training. Be sure to also look at the show notes to subscribe to our newsletter, get a copy of our book, Fixing Your Scrum, learn more about working with us at agile for humans thanks for listening and scrum on